Welcome home. Today we begin the home series. And we're starting with the text from Exodus 12, 1 through 14. And to set up this text a little bit, we are looking at a people who've been oppressed. A people who have been oppressed not just for a year or for 10 years, but ever since they were born. And, and ever since their parents were born and their parents' parents were born, they were oppressed. They were pushed to the side. They were disrespected. They were mistreated, sometimes murdered. See, these were people who were under a severe amount of oppression in their lives. And so these people are the people that are receiving the message that we're about to hear in Exodus 12, 1 through 14. It's a good news message. But it also must be understood in the context of the government that was ruling over them, of the society in which they were a minority presence. They were, um, by, by all of society, treated as slaves. And we'll get into more of that later. But if you can understand where these people are at, and how many times God has spoken to the government authorities and said, release these people, and we call them the plagues, one plague after another, God put on these people. And they started out not so bad, and well, they were all pretty bad, but they, they got worse and worse and worse. And still, there was no release of these people from oppression. There was no freedom for these people. After 500 years, the, time, the situation had not gotten any better. So let's look at Exodus 12, 1 through 14. Scripture tells us, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. But if a household is too small, it says, for a lamb, a whole lamb, then it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb then shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Have you ever longed for home? Or have you ever felt that you were far away from home? And has there ever been a time in your life where you were away from home for a very long time? And then you came home. And there were those familiar smells and familiar sights. And you looked around home and you thought, there really is, as Dorothy says in The Wizard of Oz, what did she say? No place like home. And even little children, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, likes to play the game called House. She plays House all the time. And she likes to, when her friends come over, she, she's already doing the thing. I'll be the mommy and you be the daddy and this is our baby and this is our house. See, playing house is something that we do ever since we're born. We like to build forts. We like homes. We like to create spaces. And we're always in a way in search of a home. And have you ever felt that in some way you're not home? Even though you have a home, have you ever felt in some way that that your home is not what it's meant to be. Or even your home church is not what it's meant to be. I've met some people even today who've said that they've left their home church because it's not heaven on earth. It's far from it. It's an oppressive place. And we even admit that sometimes that even happens within our church. See, it feels as though home is looting us. Doesn't it feel as though sometimes we try to find that perfect place, that promised land, that that Garden of Eden into which we were intended to live, and it's just not there? See, I have a friend who, this is the weirdest thing, he raises pigeons so he can race them. Is that weird to you? And when he said it, I kind of decided I should not be his friend for a very long time. And so I didn't talk to him and I didn't ask him anymore. Just, I knew he lived in a remote location and he did look like one of the duck hunting guys on TV, Duck Dynasty. And this was way before Duck Dynasty was cool and before that was a normal thing. And I decided I would, I would just table that one for a little while. Then I asked him a little bit one day when I decided, well, he was salt of the earth, the coolest guy I'd ever met. And I said, what is the deal with these pigeons? And he got excited. He said, you know, pigeons are the fastest bird in the world. What? I had no idea. Well, there are birds that can fly faster for short periods of time. You know, some birds can dive. But the pigeon, you know, the, I'm talking about the, the pigeons that, you, that some people want to kick. I love them. I think they're great. But pigeons, they're the fastest bird in the world. And he said, you know... This is going to be a pigeon sermon. Next time you hear, uh, see a pigeon, you're going to remember everything about this message today. He said, pigeons are amazing because you take them thousand miles away from home, hundreds and hundreds of miles away when we race them. And we let them go, and we like to see which pigeon makes it back first. And that's the race. And it depends on how you feed them and how well they're taken care of and how, how much exercise they've had and how much food they have and fat on their bellies. So there's a science to raising pigeons and flying and racing them. But he said the most amazing thing about a pigeon is that they have this internal compass that tells them where to go, where their home is, which direction they need to go in. Have you ever heard these stories? Now, there's Disney movies based on Homeward Bound. Have you ever heard of that story? It's about a dog that that finds its way home over hundreds and hundreds of miles, and a cat, and another dog. and, And you think, that's a ridiculous story, but it's true. There are actually dogs that have 
have found their way 500 miles away from home. They have found their way back home. And, bizarrely enough, there are even dogs who have somehow found their master, even though they are not in their home, by somehow smelling <laughs> smelling the location. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody really knows. So that's why it's in the news, right? That's why we read this stuff. See, we were built to be that way. See, there was a time when God created people and they knew where their home was. They were at home with God. And that's where they wanted to be and that's where they were and it was perfect. And then something called sin came into the world. Something called uh, being off target. Do you know what the word sin actually means? It means to be off course or off target. It means that our compass, our internal compass that points us toward home has, is off. And that we find ourselves off the path. Many people used to call, uh, and they still do, uh, Jesus, following Jesus as the way. It wasn't called Christians at the beginning, but it was called the way because it was all about being on the path, being pointed towards home in life. See, I would love to have my internal compass adjusted. And that's what God is doing in this passage. God is saying to this people, you are not at home. And for the Israelites, they knew that they were not at home. (laughs) Every time that they were mistreated, every time they were neglected, every time they were abused, it was made clear to them that this was not their home and it was someone else's home. And actually, if you read back in Scripture, you find out that the reason that the Israelites were there and that they had grown into this tremendous group of people out of one little family, the reason that they were there is because they were running away from a famine in their own country. So in quite real terms, they were a displaced people. But what's more important is that we recognize that spiritually, they are a displaced people. There are people that need to be put back on track. And God loves nothing more than to help us to get back on track in our lives, to, to correct that compass, to correct our internal GPS system so that we start heading in the right direction in our lives. So what does God do first? God does not give them a map saying, oh, here's how to get back home. That's not the first thing that God does. God gives them some instructions. God speaks into their world. God speaks into their life. And if you're someone who is just now discovering that you are not at home, that you are out of place, that you think spiritually, you've discovered that spiritually you are not in the place that you were designed to be by God, the creator of the universe, well, that can actually be a good thing. And the thing that you should be asking for is God's word in your life, is God's voice in your life. And I know a lot of people who go off into a dark corner and they say, Lord, I just want your voice in my life. I want your voice in my life. I want your voice in my life. And then they go to church on Sunday and they say, Pastor, I haven't heard voice in my life. But they had just heard a number of people say, would you like to come to a small group where we talk about God and we speak about God and we ask each other questions? Would you like to come to a class after worship service where we dive deeper into God's word? Would you like to come to Circle of Women on Thursdays where you get an opportunity to be with other people? And one of the miraculous things that God does for us, and you notice that the word of God comes to these Israelite people, first from God and then through Moses and Aaron. One of the amazing things that we get to do is we get to speak God's word in other people's lives. Now, the key to uh, our theological understanding of speaking God's word into, into other people's lives, the Christian understanding, is Scripture. And if you ever hear someone say, this is God speaking to you, one way to figure out is you go to Scripture and go, Scripture say that? 
And if it, Scripture doesn't say that, we say, eh, mm, I don't think so. I, that, that does, that's, not, that's not the voice of God. It doesn't match with what I hear Scripture saying. So as, as God starts speaking to the Israelite people, he, he tells them these really weird instructions. Does anybody else find that they're strange instructions? He says first they should go and get a lamb from among the a lamb, a year-old lamb without blemish. And that every household should have one. And if a household is too small, meaning they're too poor to have a whole lamb, that they should join with their closest neighbors. If any of you are really excited about wondering the relevance of neighbors in your life, then God has a word for you right now that neighbors are important. And caring for your neighbors and welcoming them to your table is important. That, that's just a side note. So, so, but it could be the, the thing that God is speaking to you in your life today. And then God says that what you should do is you should take this lamb and you should roast it over the fire. Oh, oh, wait, you keep it for four days, right? You pick it up on the, on the tenth day at Lamb Depot or something like that. And then you go and take your year-old lamb, which, by the way, is 60 pounds of meat. This is relevant. I, this was like the last thing I researched. By the way, how big is a one-year-old lamb? And I, I imagine we're, we're relevant, relatively the same size today. 60 pounds of meat. That's a lot of lamb. So after four days, you then kill it, which sounds very grotesque to us, but I hate to break it to you. Every piece of meat that you eat is killed. Okay? So, so as you're kind of cringing at this text, just, just know that we are the weird ones, not them. <laughs> The killing, killing an animal was normal in order to eat it. Uh, so then they would kill it at twilight, and they would then roast it over a fire. Uh, did you see the barbecue on the way in today? How long do you think it takes to cook a hot dog? Any barbecuers? Like, how, how long? Give, give, a, give a guess. Six minutes. Yeah, six minutes. My barbecue, I always run it too hot. I don't really know how to cook hot dogs. I think they're really hard. I think tri-tip's easier on a barbecue. How long does it take to cook a tri-tip on a barbecue? Anybody? 40 minutes on a barbecue? How long do you think it takes to cook 60 pounds of meat on a barbecue? Like all day long. So, so <laughs> yeah, and this, this is not in any of the commentaries. I just started doing math and thinking, this is really important to set the scene of what's going on. They've got this animal that, and, and have you ever been to a restaurant where they have the head on an animal and the feet and the, and the legs and things? And and if you're not from that tradition, does anybody else... Just raise your hand if that's just disgusting to you. If that's just repulsive. You don't want to eat that. You have less inclination to eat it, right? Because it reminds you that what you're eating was a life given. It reminds you that what you, what you are eating was alive, like, in this case, like two hours ago. Or all day ago. So they kill it at twilight, which is sunset. And then they start roasting this. And you can imagine this... this this conversation that would take place. And in the text, it says that you should not eat any of the meat raw or boiled. I don't know if boiled. Would that be quicker to cook 60 pounds of meat boiled? Anybody? No? It wouldn't taste very good either. It's disgusting. So God has a better recipe for cooking lamb. But what's really going on here is this time that it takes to cook the lamb. And this conversation that must be taking place in every household and, and these households that are brought together around the food and, and we call that fellowship. And then it says no leftovers. Now this is the worst Thanksgiving dinner idea I've ever heard. God's, God's saying that it's, when it's done, it's done. 
when the meal is finished, you're going to burn what's left over. And you're thinking, how wasteful could this be? But there's two things that are saying here. One is you're going to be on the move. You're not going to need it. It's time to get rid of this stuff. And two, the, the meat is something that you would rely on for sustenance to move forward. It's a security blanket. If you kept it, then you knew that you could be fed for the next day. But when you get rid of it, you recognize that you're at the mercy of God. You're releasing yourself to the next day and to God's grace to be able to sustain you in the next day and the next day and the next day. So we have this incredible situation where there's this terrible violence that is happening, which for some of you is the stopping point. But what I want you to see is this rescue of these people that is happening on this moment. Did you know that when God says this is the first month of the months, the first month of months, this is the first month of the year, God says to them, he is saying that this is a new era for these people. This is a new age. No more slavery. No more oppression for you. You are released. This is the day when not just one person, not just two people, but the whole entire community of God will be reborn. Every single one of us. Now, a lot of times when we talk about rescue and salvation, we talk about it as an individual thing. But this is about a whole entire community having a new start, pushing the restart button on all the relationships and pushing a restart button on all the things that have happened. Because I don't know about you, the, the number one hardest person for me to have a great dinner with that is spiritually rewarding and deep is my neighbor. Not the number one, but they rank up there. And don't worry, my neighbors aren't in here. And I know you guys won't tell them. But I know you'll hold me to it. You'll say, hey, James, I know that you need to start working on that relationship with your neighbor. And I recommend that you go get a, a, a whole lamb and put it on a fire and roast it all night with them. And you can see this repairing of relationships and this restarting of the new year for them. Now, this celebration had taken place year after year after year after year for thousands and thousands of years. Every year, people would get together and remember the liberation, the freedom that they had experienced because of this moment. Another interesting fact is this is the first time that God has spoken to the whole group of Israel. This is the first time that God has given instructions. And essentially, through these words, God is forming... Now, when you think of Israel, you might think of a, a country in another place. But when we're talking in theological terms, we're talking about ourselves as part of that body. That we are inheritors, that we are part of that family. That this is like our aunts and uncles and cousins way, way, way back. That that liberation that took place for them is the reason that we have liberation spiritually today. That we have freedom and joy and peace and harmony. That we have an opportunity to take these conflicted relationships, these conflicted spaces that we call churches and homes and streets and communities. And we have an opportunity to place Jesus Christ right at the center of it. And that's what Jesus was. Because it was on Passover that he met. It was on that celebration of Passover that he met with his disciples in the upper room. And he had a conversation with them and he would have read this verse or he would have at least alluded to it and they would have talked about it because this is where it all started. And he would have said, you know what? This whole thing that we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years where we've been trying to, that we've been killing the lamb and we've been remembering God's grace in our lives and we've 
been making this sacrifice to God, he said, you know what? It's over. We don't have to do it anymore. You see, there's going to be a new remembrance. And the new remembrance is going to be in me, Jesus Christ says. And he says that the new remembrance is going to be one that is going to be extended not just to a physical family that is made up of DNA, that you can trace the DNA, but it's going to be made up of a spiritual family. So there's going to be an explosion where all people, all people are going to be liberated no matter their circumstance. And so now as you think about your home, your church home and your home in your neighborhood, I want you to think about all of those systems of oppression because I know you have them. Mine is the refrigerator and a number of other things. There's a number of spiritual battles that go on in my home every single day. As I seek to be a better dad, as I seek to be a better husband, as I seek to be a better person and, and a better follower of Christ. And those are the series of oppression that we struggle against. It's those, those being off the mark. It's where our GPS system has been out of tune. But Jesus Christ comes into our situation and redirects us. And so today, I would propose that you go home and you have a New Year feast. Is that someone at dinner today turns to the other person. And if you are too small a family to have dinner with someone here, please just grab each other. Don't let, don't let someone go home without someone to have dinner with today. Let's just have a little corner back there. Anyone that doesn't have lunch plans and wants to have lunch plans, why don't you just meet at the back corner and we'll see what we can do. Okay? We'll just have, we'll just have an unplanned lunch plan back there. And as a community, I want us to think very seriously about this day as the beginning of a new year. The beginning of us as a community redirecting our understanding of what it means to be at home in our life. And we have a number of serious things to talk about in the next eight weeks that are going to ask us to take some serious steps of faith. So now I'd like to ask the band to come up here. As we approach this moment of communion, I'd like to ask the kids to come in. You can look around and see if your, your kid's coming in. As we all come to the table, and I also want you to have a visual in your head right now of not just the kids coming to the table and you coming to the table, but the whole entire world coming to the table. That everybody is welcome to the table. That this is, this is a table that Jesus says is welcome for every one of you. All of your neighbors. That's right. Even the people that you have pushed to the side and said, that person cannot come to my table. But Jesus says... Jesus says, we meet around this table. And the rules at this table is that everyone, everyone is welcome. And you don't have to follow any special rules or special instructions in order to follow this, come to this table. You just need to open up your heart. You need to say, God, let, redirect me so that I may, be, I may be able to approach you and understand what home is in a new way.
Lay down your heart. 